do shit that you've never done before. Go travel, go do, go meet people and just go do wild stuff with the internet and with like just society. We always feel we have to be in the presence of other people or we have to be with someone or we'll just be alone. And it's just like, no, be okay with you sometimes because we came in this world alone. We're going to leave this world alone. And I think that you get the best quality of life sometimes when you're by yourself. You're listening to Wellbeing Creative, a podcast that breaks down stigmas and creates a conversation surrounding well-being in the creative fields. My name is Harrison Diskin, and I'll be sitting down with creators of all types to discuss how they manage the inevitable stress, anxiety, and health choices that come along with creating in today's wild world. Hey, it's Harrison. Welcome back to Wellbeing Creative. This week, my guest is a very creative and inspiring new friend of mine. Leah Vernon is part model, part blogger, part writer, but a full-on ball of energy. Her capability of putting a positive spin on a tough situation is uncanny, and her talents are guaranteed to take her far in life. I'm sure of that. We talk about everything from being a black Muslim woman to body positivity and eating disorders. We also hear from Leah regarding how we can deal with the current climate of toxic masculinity, partisanship, and blatantly haters on the internet. There's something that everyone can take away from this conversation, and I'm honored to share this discussion with all of you. So here is Wellbeing Creative, episode four. Hey, it's Harrison, and my guest today is a powerful force of awesome. She transpires positive energy, and I'm excited to hear her stories. Blogger, model, feminist, and so much more. Welcome Leah Vernon to Wellbeing Creative. Leah, thanks for coming on. I'm really happy you're here. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to get this ball rolling. <laughs> yeah, let's get right into it. So uh, you're a Muslim female. Yes. Um, what does, what, how does being a practicing Muslim shape who you are? Wow, we're getting going right, right, into, it. right into it. Yeah. Just no. Yeah. No chaser. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We got to, you know, start, hmm. start fast. Wow. Well, I feel like it shapes me in, in many ways. Um, like, it's definitely a lifestyle situation. It's not like, oh, I'm Muslim sometimes or, um, oh, like, I'm a woman sometimes. This is, like, something that you live every single day. So I'm reminded of it all the time. Mm-hmm. And instead of looking at it as, I guess, these things that are unwanted or shameful or bad or not trending, right, um, I embrace them. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what my brand is, kind of embracing you as you are now instead of the person you could possibly be, the person you, you were like five, ten years ago. It's kind of like living in the now. Mm-hmm. Um, I take my identity as a Muslim woman very seriously because it wasn't always like that. So I make sure that I always, always stick up for that now. What, what was it like when you weren't taking it seriously, maybe? Um, well, there's like different parts. So when I was growing up, it was kind of, not necessarily forced, but kind of forced mm-hmm. um, that I had to be this person. And it really wasn't explained, um, probably in a lot of religious communities is the same thing where it's like okay this is what we do and this is what you have to do as an adolescent and a child like you don't really have a say so in who you want to be and um how you want to express yourself Mm -hmm. so growing up it was difficult because like nobody really knew what muslim muslim was right so i was often referred to as a nun Mm. um and as a kid getting referred to as someone who's 
elderly or boring or like all these things that you attach to being a nun. It was very hurtful to me. I'm like, I'm not a nun. I'm a Muslim. And they'd be like, Muslim? What is a Muslim? And so I always, I always felt like being, I was shunned or different. Nobody understood me. And so I tried to hide it. Um, and then on the other extreme, um, I got married super duper early, which I don't mm-hmm. think anyone should do. Uh, I got married at 19 uh, to an, also to a Muslim man. And then it became the other extreme where now you kind of don't want to be involved in it, in it. But because like you are Muslim and you're, you want to represent for your husband and not embarrass him, mm-hmm. like you need to be this person, right? And so then I was very much so proud to be Muslim on the other end I was like I don't think I'm being the Muslim that he wants me to be or that I think I should be so it was this really weird identity crisis thing that's really kind of hard to explain um I wasn't proud of it at all so you were you were married at 19 to another uh, to a Muslim man yeah and and then you were divorced recently at 29 yep so 10 years of being married and what in the Muslim community, what's it, you know, what, what are some of those expectations you felt from him and from the community? Yeah, it's a lot of expectations, yeah. uh, ones that you can really never reach, really. Um, some of the expectations were that um, I'd basically, so the expectation, let's talk about the modesty issue um, mm-hmm. or the modesty part. So you are expected to dress the part which is like traditional hijab, um, making sure that your your shape or your figure isn't shown, like mm-hmm. tight clothes is a no-no, even like wearing pants at some point. Um, so I know one particular occasion, and I was actually, it's where I was thinking about this last night, just randomly, and I'm just like, um, you know, our holiday Eid, so after Ramadan, we fast for 30 days, mm-hmm. and then we have Eid, where it's like a big celebration, you get like dressed in your like most fanciest clothes, so I was having a hard time um, finding what I wanted to wear. So I found like these black pants and it was just, like this mustard top. I put like a little brooch on it. I learned how to do a smoky eye and I had like a little sequence beret. I've always been into fashion, but yeah. now I'm like fully into it now. But I had like the sequence beret and all this stuff. And I remember like coming to the mosque and everyone's like, oh my God, like Leah, like your outfit is so amazing. Like you're such a fashionista and all this stuff. I'm just like just basking in it. And then um, I see my husband at the time, like, not pleased at all. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, oh, God, what's wrong now? So I go up to him. I was like, you know, babe, what's wrong? He's like, you have pants on. And I'm just like, yes, I, yeah, I have pants on. Like, he's like, why couldn't you dress in an abaya? Like, abaya is like the, um, the loose-fitting, kind of flowy kind of shapeless, sometimes shapeless. Very traditional. Yeah, very traditional. He's mm-hmm. like, why don't you have an abaya on like everybody else? Hmm. And I'm just like, well, I don't want to be like everybody else, number one. Number two, I'm, I'm so covered, I just have pants on. He was so livid, so livid. He's like, you're embarrassing me in front of everybody and just like berating me. And I'm just like, I didn't even know what to say. I was like, wow, over pants. Um, so those type of expectations were set upon me to dress appropriately, dress the way everybody else dressed. Yeah. Um, not to wear makeup, not to wear like black nail polish like I like to wear or black lipstick um, or like, you know, the fingerless look gloves like Gwen Stefani, which is my idol at the time and still is. So to kind of fit in and conform. And I've never been a conformist, mm-hmm. but I was a conformist for 10 plus years because that's what my community wanted me to do. And that's what I did. 
but they still weren't happy and I still ended up in divorce. Mm -hmm. So I guess, yeah, I guess I was fooled, unfortunately. And it's embarrassing. It's embarrassing looking back on how I conformed. It's it's definitely a lesson, you know, to to be true to yourself, you know. You can learn who you are by going through a lot of those lessons. Yeah. Um, we're going to get to a lot of this fashion stuff, but I want to stay on some of the stuff we're talking about here. Do you ever feel like you've been the target of, of xenophobia or anything like that? Xenophobia, like uh, meaning like other, like non-Muslims yeah, kind like of attacking. Just, well, just big, have you ever been the victim of, of or the target of, of bigotry? Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, I think uh, for there's many times in my life that I that I was. Um, I think the one that kind of pops up into my head was right after 9-11, which mm-hmm. is when a lot of um, things changed for a lot of Muslim um, Muslim Americans just across the board. Um, like I was dressed traditionally at this point. Um, I was, I think, in a doctor's office, like waiting for my appointment, just like a normal day Mm -hmm. and um it was this um gentleman sitting next to me and of course on the tv is you know 9-11 coverage Mm -hmm. and i'm just like oh no (laughs) like i'm like the only muslim in the waiting room was like i and i was in a suburb too so i was really scared because i'm also i'm not just muslim i'm black and i'm muslim so i'm just like oh my god double whammy so i'm just like sitting there it's like oh god please don't let anyone say anything crazy to me because at this point some of my some of the sisters that I knew knew um, had gotten their hijabs pulled off, have oh. gotten pushed down steps, uh, have gotten cussed out for speaking Arabic, told to go back to their own country. Oh. So I was expecting some 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 stuff to go down. Um, so I was just like, oh no! And so the guy just like everyone's in there just shaking their hand, and then the guy looks over to me and gets up and moves two seats away, and it's just like, and I've had other um, gentlemen and women kind of just look at me in disgust and move away um in my defense i do enjoy more room <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so thank you for giving me my space because i hate sitting next to people anyways in close proximity on you know but uh i like how you spin that i always spin stuff in that type of way i think i think it, it helps me um keep a positive outlook on the foolishness that's going on yeah uh in the world so yeah but i there's so many like i've heard of like masjids getting um, put, like hog heads being put on their porch or like bacon. And it's like, are you guys dumb? Like, I'm just like, bacon and pig's heads are, are not going to like kill a Muslim. It's not going to like right. melt us like the Wicked Witch of the West. Like, it's barbaric almost. Like who, like you had so much time on your hands to go get a hog's head and put it on a mosque's right. steps. Like what's wrong with you? Like get a life. It's, it's really, ugh, Yeah. So you have like ridiculous things like that to like the more heinous crimes, which is attacking hijabis. Mm-hmm. Um, there's so many different stories about hijabis getting attacked, and it's it's really sickening. One actually happened recently, like in Dearborn, mm. uh, where sh- where uh, a Muslim woman was in was trying to get I think like medical care or something, and this um, white male just came up from behind her and just started welling on her, like oh literally. He got like so many like face punches in. And it was just sad to see on the surveillance camera that it's that bad where people feel like they can put their hands on you and attack you just because the color of your skin or what you have on your head or what you believe in. Yeah, it's, uh, we still have a long way to go. Yeah. Um, you wrote an article that I read on your blog. Uh-oh. It's called <laughs> Boys Will Be Boys. Yeah. Uh, you talk a lot about moments in the Muslim community that 
kind of refer to a lot of that masculine, the, the toxicity there. Yeah. Um, and I think that this certainly reaches outside of just the Muslim community and kind For of sure. spills into every aspect of our world, uh, even into our own government. Um, so how can we do better at raising young boys in a way that doesn't just tolerate the boys will be boys behavior? Yeah. Um, so a little bit of backstory to that article. Yeah. Uh, that was, uh, I think, one of my highest ranking articles because it hit home for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Um, not just like Muslim women, but just like just general, generally, like you said, like it's not just about, um, I guess, just the, the Muslim community. But there's like so many things that kind of thread all of us together mm-hmm. um, as human beings. So. I like to um, ruffle feathers when I write things a little bit because I feel like everyone's writing things that are very safe and trendy. I like to dig right into things. Wait, can I cuss or no? Yeah. Oh, okay. Because I've been like, I've been like, if you hear a pause, that's me wanting to say a cuss word. <laughs> no, you can say like th- you want. things yeah. when I really want to say shit. Yeah. Um. So I should have asked you that before. Sorry. Um. But yeah, I like to ruffle feathers because there's so many things that's not said in fear of backlash and retaliation, which I've gotten my fair share and steel wheel and probably will get more as I start to rise, whatever stardom I'm on, mm-hmm. whatever path that is. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so that one, like so many people were like commenting and sending me messages like, girl, oh my God, like this is crazy. Like this is exactly me. I've seen this for so long and this is my life this oh make excuses boys will be boys like yeah. let them do what they do it's fine you know because they're boys and I'm like what that's kind of like the whole thing where it's just like oh okay well this whole white male versus like a black male like oh well he can do certain things but if a black male does it no he gets shot like that's just not because you were born a certain kind of way doesn't give you certain rights right to do injustices or to get certain benefits so, like, people were really feeling that article. And this whole, like, toxic masculinity I've seen from a very, very early age and kind of was told to accept it in some way. My mother was a little bit more hardcore than most Muslim mothers. Mm-hmm. Um, so my mom was, like, kind of like, uh, no. But there's also still traces of it, right? And then some of the Muslims that I grew up with um, had it really bad where some of the boys wouldn't have to do any housework Mm -hmm. where they could stay out as late as they wanted to. And then I'd be with my friend and her mom would be hurrying her her back to home or she had to be in by a certain time. She couldn't do this. She couldn't do that. Like one of my friends in particular, um, her brother like had a whole stash of porn Mm -hmm. under his bed and his mom found it, didn't say shit. If that was... The, a Muslim girl or her Muslim child getting sent away she would definitely get like literally she'd get punished yeah but it's like uh, I didn't see it or it's like you know oh boys we boys type. so I was really I was very angry when I wrote that a lot of my posts and stuff comes out of anger mm-hmm. or like shock and I was just, just tired I'm just like you know what fuck this I'm gonna <laughs> like I'm gonna write about this and angst all that angst and so but it's so prevalent, unfortunately. It's very, very prevalent. And it's just so sad how it's ingrained in us to yeah. accept. It is. So how, how, can we, how can we raise kids to be better? Um, I think um, teaching early on equality. Mm-hmm. Um, not making excuses for our brothers or um, our fathers or our children who happen to be males. Like, just stop making excuses. Like, don't 
show that early age. It's like, okay, well, this is the difference between you and you. Here are the similarities instead, and that you need to be doing the exact same as she she's doing, and she needs to be doing the exact same as you. Mm-hmm. And there's not going to be this huge distinction of, oh, this is woman's work, or this is man's work, or women need to, and then, no, this is work, and this is what needs to be done. So I would say from early on, just teaching equality and teaching compassion, mm-hmm. that helps too. Yeah. Like, hey, if you hit somebody, they're going to hurt. Right. They're, they're going to hurt and you shouldn't do that. Or if you talk about someone, because um, words hurt too, um, just teaching them things like that. Just like simple things that I, I, I would think, yeah, that you would teach a child, but unfortunately it's not being taught because we have a lot of situations going on even recently. Maybe poor examples of like role models. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but a lot of, I don't know, it's, it's, it's really weird because I don't know. Where is a disconnect of teaching these yeah. these basic human things? Like I don't know, like where where are we going wrong? Like I really can't answer. Yeah, I mean, I guess from my point of view, it seems like you grow up and everything is centered around learning what's in a textbook versus learning how to feel and learning how to communicate. Um, that's true. And I think maybe that's something to do with it. But at the same time, I think that we we just need better role models too. You know, it's not acceptable to have role models who are carrying that model of uh, boys will be boys. That is definitely true. That's why I think that me being in the media is very important. Yeah. Um, I didn't used to think it was important before because when you have a gift or something like that or a talent, like you don't really... People have to tell you that you have it because you really don't know. Yeah. Um, I think people can see things in you that you can't see, which is very mind-boggling. Mm-hmm. Um, it's really, it's very interesting phenomenon that I can like look at you and be like, oh, he's good at like these things. And you're just like, no, stop. And then like, no, you're really good at these things. Like you should totally like, this is a passion of yours. Like go do it. Like go right. explore it. And um, yeah, it's just, it's, it's really crazy. What, what kept you away from wanting to be in the media? Um, I didn't want, so I didn't want the backlash because, mm-hmm. I mean, and this is like pretty much known. Um, once you start exploring certain intersectionalities that are not considered, that are not considered in or acceptable, like body or color or religion or culture, even like disability versus non-disability, mental health, yeah, like mm-hmm. all that stuff. Like if you do anything out that circle that's been created, then people start attacking you, mm-hmm. right? So I'm a fat black Muslim woman who's divorced that is mostly poor, right? Mm-hmm. Or come from a single single mom, five kids. Like I'm not what's considered American, you know? Right. Like that's not who, you know? So for me to be in mainstream or commercial um, platforms, it's like, oh my God, like where, where does she just come from? Which I think is a lot of why I kind of blew up this year. Mm-hmm. Um, and like, but if, ever since I started, it was like, oh my God, where did you come from? Like every time I go somewhere, no matter if I'm in Europe or Canada or here, where did you come from? Mm-hmm. Because they don't see people like me. And if they do, they've already stereotyped. Right? right. I'm from Detroit. 
that's one hit. I'm black, that's one hit. I'm fat, hit, Muslim, hit. So all these things, like, it's in your mind is, like, moving, like, oh, my God, like, all these stereotypes are coming up to fruition. And you talk to me, you're like, whoa, where did you come from? Like, I need to know your origin. Yeah. And so I get that a lot. And it's actually that's really interesting. That's how I felt when I first met you at really? the workshop. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. I thought I was the basic part. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I get that a lot. It's just like, like, this one guy, I remember, like, I had, like, this crazy outfit on, like, I usually wear. And he came up to me who are you? And I'm just like, a human? He's like, <laughs> he's like, you're just like, wow. And I'm just like, oh my God, this is so cool. It's <laughs> so your energy. Just, yeah, he just didn't know what to do. And he was just like, I just, wow, I just never, I don't even know. I'm so like shocked right now. He was just so in awe. Hmm. And I get that a lot from people. I guess that is a sign that I should stay in the media even though it has its downsides. Yeah. So, you're 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 you embrace being a feminist and a muslim and and your your body image how is it why is it so important and how can other religious women or just any women relate and gain from that um well at first when i started this journey of like accepting my identity which is like all those intersectionalities you just listed um i didn't really know what was going to happen there was just one defining moment in my life that was just like, what would happen if you just accepted yourself? Mm-hmm. Stop being so angry. What would happen if you were just like, hey, I don't have to be that type of body type or that type of weight to be accepted and loved. Like, <laughs> have what, you, what was have you thought about that? Like, I, there's a couple moments that I've had that and then failed backwards. But I think the the main defining moment was when I started blogging. Yeah. That was like, into 2013 when I was just like what if you like I don't know do stuff that people said you couldn't do and then just did it and see what happens and so I think at that moment I was just like when I posted those pictures on the internet which is Instagram Mm -hmm. that's when people from all over the world was just like whoa this is crazy and I love it and you're giving me permission to do great things despite my body type or despite not being able to get married because I'm unwanted because I'm I'm plus size or because I'm dark skin and I'm not considered conventionally beautiful because of my skin tone. And at that moment, I'm just like, you can help people. You can inspire people. You can give people permission through accepting your own self. Hmm. So I was like, I can mess with this. I, I can... I can do this. And, like, I was just so shocked that people was, like, not just, like, Muslims or even, like, plus-size women. It was, like, different types of women, like mm-hmm. Asian women and um, white women for housewives and, like, different qu- people of the queer community. Yeah, like, they were relatable. all mm-hmm. just, like, supporting me. I was like, wow. Like, I didn't know that was possible. Like, I'm still shocked right now. Yeah. Like, honestly, I'm, like, people... People like they are like my Instagram. I call them the V Hive. Yeah. For my last name Vernon, because I'm you know Beyonce. I'm trying to be like Beyonce, but <laughs> <laughs> like they will attack anybody who tries to shame me, or they've gotten people's pages shut down for me before. Yeah. They are on it. So it's for them. Yeah. <laughs> and, and you know, it, I think it. I can almost speak for you to say that it's worth it for the you know to do it for one person and make a difference in their life. Right. You know, so and I can see you doing that. So that's really cool. Thank you. Um, you, you said that there were some fallbacks as you were moving forward since the blogging. You know, mm-hmm. what were some of those fallbacks? 
Oh, a lot. Oh, because I've been doing this since 2013, and um, it's been a lot. Um, I think one of the fallbacks were just confidence in myself to keep pushing, right? Because, like, as an artist, as you guys, as you know, it's just like, man, it's a hard-ass journey to be, like, to believe in yourself when nobody else believes in you. You know what Mm -hmm. I mean? Like, I would get ignored, 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 like, from local Detroit people. Mm-hmm. Like, ignore, ignore me, look me up and down at events, like, scoff at me with my... I had, a, like, a little fucked up Android phone just trying to, like, be involved in the scene, yeah. right? Work for free. Work all day for free just to get in. And I was looked down upon. And you lose confidence in yourself when you don't have a core tribe because you don't know what you're doing. And then when you add all these things that are supposedly imperfections and you look around and see that nobody who's successful looks like you, then it kind of just kills your whole vibe. So there's mm-hmm. times where it was like dry patches or it was like, what do I do? And every time that I wanted to quit, I've always had either someone like lift me back up and be like, keep going because you're needed. Or I'd have like a random strangers come to me and be like, what do you do? Keep doing that shit. Or I'd be like, you know, blogger friends or I'd get like a feature in New York or something like that. That would kind of push me a little bit until the next dip where I was like, I can't do this. I'm not making any money. I'm poor. Like, I'm tired. Like, nobody cares. I'm just talking to myself. So setbacks like that. And of course, the the uh, the looming divorce that happened, mm-hmm. which took me out the game. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I it, it wasn't as bad as I thought it was going to be, but it was bad. Um, because it was a lot that happened up until that point. Um, so that really, yeah, that, that, that almost took me out the game. Like I almost stopped all of this because of that. So sticking with the divorce, um, let's go back to the marriage since it was a long time back. Um, how did you guys, how did that happen at 19? How did you end up married? Well, um, so in Islam, like you're not supposed to, um, fornicate. Mm Mm-hmm. So there, there was a time where that just happened. And, of course, he comes from a very, um, well, came from a very um, Islamic household. And I came from Islamic household, too. And to lose your virginity before marriage is a very, very bad thing in Islam mm-hmm. and other religions as well. Um, so we just felt really, really bad about it. Um, and one day his father was like, you guys just probably need to get married. Because mm. I, like, I know you're going over there. Mm-hmm. Um, of course, we still need a time to process it all. And I do think with the guilt of doing that, it was also love too. But it's mm-hmm. the kind of love that it's not really necessarily real. Because like when you're 17, we met at like 17, right? When you're 17, 18, 19, you have no idea um, what, who you are as a person. Uh, I know all the kid, like teens think they know all, have all the answers. You don't. Right. Yeah. Um, you think you do, but you don't. And then secondly, you're so bent. You're really much so in love with, with what you think a person could be instead of who they are. And I think we were in love with the possibility of what the other person could be. Mm-hmm. And that wasn't, wasn't realistic. It wasn't reality. So we kind of lived in that reality. Um, and in the middle kind of got a little weird because we were kind of getting to know each other steel and then we were going good and then that last year or two just was pretty heinous so 
Yeah. What, what advice do you have to anyone who's going through a divorce or even just an end of a relationship? Um, well, I think for the most part, like you definitely need, again, that core tribe mm-hmm. that's going to like lift you up when you need it. Because there's some days you're just like, I don't care if he cheated. I'm going back to him. And your friends are like, no, <laughs> just like, no, going back. I don't care what he did. And it's like, no, he's a bad person. And so like you, you need them to like give you, you need a voice of reason to be like, you're divorced for a reason or you left that person for a reason. They're not a good person. Yeah. Like it's not like they're, I guess not necessarily they're not a good person. They're just not a good person for you. And like you guys just don't mesh anymore. And like trying to stuff a circle brick into a square mm-hmm. peg is not going to work. And you're going to, because you're, you're, we all know people who go get back and forth. Like, so everybody has that couple who are just like, yeah, I'm not with him. Yeah, I'm back with him. Yeah, I'm not. So how long are you going to do this? Like, how long are you going to waste each other's time of by doing this? Be by yourself for a sec. Regroup. Get to know you. Have your core tribe. Do shit that you've never done before. Go travel. Go, do, go meet people and just go do wild stuff. Mm-hmm. Like, you don't have to be with somebody. And I feel like now with this, like, with the internet and with like just society, we always feel like we have to be in the presence of other people or we have to be with someone or we'll just be alone and, and lame and just, and it's just like, no, be okay with your, be okay with you sometimes mm-hmm. because we came in this world alone. We're going to leave this world alone. Mm-hmm. So we need to be okay with being alone sometimes. And I think that you get the best quality of life sometimes when you're by yourself. I mean, I'm, I've been having fun over this last two years. Like, I've learned so much about myself and the strength that I have, which I didn't know I had before. I thought I had to be, be with somebody to be at my highest potential. Mm-hmm. But I was at my lowest potential while I was with him. And, and it maybe took leaving him to realize where your potential could actually be. Exactly. Yeah. Well, that's good. You mentioned traveling. You've traveled a lot in the last couple of years? Yes. You've been all over the world. On someone else's dime. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> the best kind of travel when you don't have to pay for it. <laughs> how has the uh, how has the rest of the world impacted your character today? Hmm. Yeah. Uh, it to to see like how other people live in different places, even if it's like going to Ohio, like just to see how different people live, it just it opens your mind like so much more. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of us get caught in like our own little circles and our own little cliques and our own little, you know, scenes that we forget that there's a whole other um, world out there for us to explore. And so like the first time I went to Europe, it was just like I literally had, I think, I didn't even have a lot of money. Mm-hmm. I, I actually went over there with not even like a phone. Hmm. Like, so I was like straight thugging it out over there. Don't know how or why, but I just got divorced and it was like six months in. I'm like, I'm going to Europe. I don't Peace care. Out. Yeah, I'm just going to do it. And I, don't, and I was scared to do it. because I was like, I don't know anybody over there. Like, I don't know what I'm doing. And I had the time of my life. Like, I struggled. Like, I, I struggled because I, I got lost 87,000 times and I struggled and my legs were sore from like getting lost and like asking people for help. But like, I've learned so much about myself that... I wouldn't have learned without that struggle. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I just like traveling has really just opened, like it broadened my horizons so much. And I just, I love it. And I'm obsessed with it now. Mm-hmm. So now I want to go to more farther regions and learn more about different people. And while I'm learning about them, learning about myself. What's one of your most st- trialing travel stories? Like the, the one I was most trying? Yeah. Hmm. I would think... 
Well, not any of my overseas ones because those are all pretty rad. Mm -hmm. I think the the most trying one was actually here and I went to New Jersey Mm -hmm. for a speaking engagement at, I think it was Ramapo College, something like that. I don't remember because I've been to so many colleges to speak. But it was in New Jersey and I was just like, so I had already... Like I, I was basically that week. I was in like three different states mm-hmm. doing speaking engagements, and I was my last one on the list. And I was already like done. Yeah. Um. And then New Jersey is my ex husband's um state of origin, and I was not happy to be there. I was not happy to be there because I'm just like, I hate New Jersey. <laughs> yeah. I don't want to be here. Like this is the last time I was there. I was with him, mm-hmm. and so it was very upsetting. The weather was very bland, and so when I touched down. Uh, I'm laying down, just resting after eating with my friend. And then the lady girl from the school is just like, yeah, you're supposed to actually be speaking today and like Mm. now. And I'm just like, I thought I was was supposed to be speaking tomorrow. She's like, oh, they messed up the schedule. And I'm just like, I don't want to be here anymore. I don't want (laughs) to. And like, I was just like freaking out. And I'm just like, Leah, like you have to calm down because freaking out and going off on her is not going to help the situation. So throw some clothes on right now. You know, you have like jet lag stank on your body, throw some clothes on, hit the hot spots, throw your makeup in a bag and then go. Mm -hmm. So I was able to make it. They were able to stall. Like I was literally doing my makeup and writing uh, like a speech same time, Mm -hmm. like a G. Yeah. And um, it turned out really good. But that was, I think, the most trying. So I was like so irritated by the whole like I just I just flew into New Jersey with the the attitude. Yeah, it was very trying for me. As a creative, how do you think some of those, I mean, it's almost inevitable that a lot of projects are going to go awry. Like how, right. how do you, how do you stay on top of it, on top of it when they do? Um, well, that is true. And it's a little bit, so I am a Leo, so I'm yeah. very controlling and I try not to be controlling, but it's my nature. Mm-hmm. And that's why I like a lot of my projects I do alone um, because working with other people, People are not very uh, dependable sometimes. Mm-hmm. And so if we're going to do a project together, I need to know that you're 120% in it or I will never work with you. And so like I pick and choose basically who I work with. Mm-hmm. So it's not that's least likely to happen where they're just acting crazy or just not doing what they're supposed to do. Um, but like there are some projects that you, you can't, you know, there's unforeseen circumstances. Yeah. And... Um, right now, I, because I'm, I am an artist and an entrepreneur, I know that everything's not going to go right. Mm-hmm. So that I need to calm down, take a chill pill, and go with the flow. Um, but it bothers me a lot, like inside my heart. It really bothers me when things don't go as planned if it's due to another person's just lack of judgment right. or just lack of organizing. Something that could have been prevented. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So like I tell people all the time, like if we do like a – a photo shoot or something like that or, or, or video. Um, I tell them, you, are you sure you want to work with me? Because I'm very difficult to work with. And it's like, how? I'm just like, because I am like this. And if you're not, it'll be a problem. And I'm not trying to be like Mariah Carey, like bitchy or anything. But it's just like, if you ask to work with me, you better be on it. Mm-hmm. Like, you better be on it. If I, Like, you need, to, you need to have all the answers before, before I even ask it. Right. Because I take my brand very seriously. And that's how I work. So I expect the same from you. That's great. Yeah. Speaking of work, okay, so you model. H- how did you get into modeling? 
Oh, Lord. <laughs> so I used to want to be a model for such a long time when I was younger. Yeah. Um, but I wasn't able to because, like, I can't walk in heels. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not proportionate. <laughs> and I can't really wear a lot of the clothes because, like, I'm Muslim. So I have to, like, maintain a certain level of modesty, right? So, like, all those things... Well, I don't mean to interrupt, but what came what came first? Your your passion for fashion, passion for fashion, or uh, or modeling? Okay, so pr- neither actually. Okay. Um, I used to um, well, actually, I still do write. People actually don't know, don't know this about me, but I actually write like dystopian fiction. Mm-hmm. So that came first. I have that in my notes. Oh, <laughs> look at you! <laughs> oh wow, you did your research. Yeah. Yeah. So. Well, you know, but a lot of people don't know who know me from Instagram, don't really know that side of me. So mm-hmm. prior to the fashion, prior to the modeling and the blogging, I used to write uh, fan fiction and I actually wrote three books prior that haven't got published yet. Mm-hmm. But um, like I like futuristic stuff like sci-fi, especially like multicultural sci-fi, because like in the future, if you look a lot, of, look at a lot of sci-fi um, books and stories they only show white people in the future mm. they never show anybody else so I haven't really like, thought about that oh yeah, yeah I read a lot of sci-fi and it's the same I'm just like well where is everybody else like why are we just like <laughs> this is not real so like that's why I got into it because I wanted to be represented in the stories mm-hmm. so that's what I did uh, nobody would read my shit like never and people who did read it were like oh this is really good you should get this published I'm like duh I'm trying to nobody's listening to me <laughs> and so then um, I just kept writing kept writing stories and um, I, I, nobody would ever accept my book for anything I would get close and then it would just all, like all fall apart mm. um, so that was that was me uh, Leah the writer the storyteller um, who hid behind these fiction stories. I never wrote stories about myself, mm-hmm. like ever, because I didn't want the spotlight on me. So before, like, the modeling and all that stuff, like, that was me. That, that, that's my passion is storytelling. Mm-hmm. So what, what changed and what drew you to fashion and, and modeling? Um, I think, so I've always been pretty fashionable. Yeah. Like, even, like, as a child, I think the earliest story that my aunt tells me is a story about these white leather sandals that I just would not let go yeah. of and have and chose as like a four or five year old and like how I just like went on and on and on and on about these white leather gladiator sandals um, that I just had to have. So like I think fashion for me was like early on, yeah. but it was never like a focus. It became a focus when it was just like me and my friends would just like get dressed up and go out on the weekends. Mm-hmm. Like me and all my Muslim friends would just like get dressed up, go out on the weekends and people used to actually think that we were either models or designers. Hmm. And I was like, no, I'm just a normal person. Like, what the hell? <laughs> like, we're just normal people just, like, at this event, whatever. And so um, so that was that aspect of it. And then I started, I did a couple in college, a couple speaking. Like, you know, like, in your college, you have a speech class or business right. class. They make you get up and speak. Like, every time I would get up and speak, people would shut, shut the fuck up. Yeah. Like, and it would be weird because it would be, like, speakers before me. People were like... You know, goofing doing off. goofing off, and soon, and I'd be really scared. I'm like, oh god, I'm the only Muslim girl in this business class. Like, oh god, I'm like, you know, they're gonna goof off. And every time I get up there, they would shut up. Yeah. And that happened a couple times, and I was like, weird. And they would listen to me all the way till I would be finished. And so, I knew at that point that I had a presence. Yeah. I just didn't know how to box it up and present it mm-hmm. in a nice way. So I, uh, you, you mentioned that you didn't feel like you were represented in, in the science fiction novels and films. 
Do you see Hollywood and the media portraying stronger female characters in TV and movie now? Um, so with the media, it's always like a catch-22, as we both know. Mm-hmm. Uh, they show things that are trendy, not because they want to include people, right? Mm-hmm. Because if it was trendy to still have blonde white women as leads, then they would still be doing that. Um, people are like, oh, yeah, we did all this stuff to get, you know, t- to make these changes. But they understand that they need to do these changes to keep an audience, right? Mm-hmm. To keep making money. So it's always that um, going on underneath the surface. Not to, not to be a Debbie Downer and say that these, these changes aren't helping people of color or, like, people of the queer community or, like, women in the plus-size community or men in the plus-size community. But there's always an agenda, right? Motive. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So that's why people always keep that in mind when you're talking about media, music, any of those industries, right? Yeah. Um, So I definitely see there's a change um, in the industry. We'll see different leads and stuff like that of color. Um, Like, I think a really good example would be um, Black Panther. Mm -hmm. Because there was like, I was excited that it was dark-skinned women as leads. Because like, usually what you see, blackness in America and some other European countries is, is seen as biracial or like closer to white. Mm-hmm. So you'll see a lot of leads, um, biracial black women. You never see a dark skinned black woman. Right. Um, so I was rooting for that. I'm just like, come on now, come on, like dark skinned woman crew, like strong, like lead like that, that empowered me. Cause my sister's a dark skinned girl and, and it was always like a, a thing because like, I was like, you know, lighter and she was darker and it was always a situation and like I've talked to many women that's like a thing um for plus size women um I don't know I see a little bit um but I still also see those funny fat friend sidekick Mm -hmm. to thin perfect white woman or thin perfect woman and it's like okay um we're not sidekicks like we're we can be main mm-hmm. love interest too. Um, and so like I'd like to see more of that because that's definitely something I haven't really seen like that. Um, so I mean I've seen plus size women like more so in the media, but as leads, no. Mm-hmm. And if they are leads, it's, it's funny. You know, she's got to be funny, you know, comedic relief, make fun of her weight. Right. Or focus on her weight instead of focusing on how she just lives her life like a normal character. Right. So it's just like, I don't know. I mean, I definitely, people keep telling me like I need to get more into directing mm-hmm. and stuff like that. So um, I'm definitely, if I get any type of like opportunity to do that, like I will. Yeah. And maybe star in it. You know, I'm great. not an actress at all, but people say I am. I can freestyle, but I can't read, script, read scripts. I would so. watch that movie. <laughs> You're an advocate for body positive and all bodied women um and you use those terms frequently uh yeah. what, what what does that mean um so body positivity means different things to different people because like you know people have argued with me about the term mm-hmm. to me it means um that you are accepting of your body as it is right now yeah not the body that you were back in the day and not the body that you could possibly be three months from now, six months from now, right? Especially, like, I know women do that. They're like, okay, so in three months by my birthday, I want to be this size, mm-hmm. and then I can be happy, mm-hmm. or then I can go on this trip. Um, or, man, if I was, like, this the body I w- had, the body that I had, like, when I was, like, 17 or 18, like, it would be so much better. And it's just, like, so when I hear those type of comments, it's like, eh, pause, let's, let's educate right now. Because what if you never 
get back to that size you were. Mm-hmm. So you're just going to be unhappy and teal. You're going to hold off on that trip until you get to that size. I used to do the same thing during my eating disorder times. Right. So like I know, I, I know. Um, so body positivity is basically, I'm, accept- I'm accepting the body that I have right now. Like I can live with the body. There's nothing wrong with changing your body. If you want to lose weight, get buff, whatever you want to do, that's fine. I'm, I'm for that as long as it's in a healthy way. Mm-hmm. Um, but you can still enjoy yourself and live your life, the body you have now, living in the moment. So that's body positivity to me. That's something that's a really great takeaway that I think everyone can really benefit from listening to. Um, what uh, what was your struggle with your eating disorder? Um, so basically, um, I had the mentality that, so when I was growing up, some of the, I was really into like magazines like Seventeen and mm-hmm. like Cosmopolitan. And if you look at these magazine covers, especially when I was growing up, they had like Britney Spears, like Christina Aguilera, Paris Hilton, you know, the blonde, flat stomachs, like you can see like the little abs, you know, mm-hmm. abs mm-hmm. and like, you know, the hair and the boobs. And like I wanted that so bad that I felt like if I can just become a thin white woman, that everything will be good. Everything will be great for me. Um, and that was in my head. Like it was an obsession. Like if I can just become like this, then I can be perfect. I can be stable. Everything will be great. Um, and it might sound like very weird or odd or crazy but that's what a lot of people with body dysmorphia or eating disorders that's what they have in their head if Mm -hmm. i can just get to this then i'd be good i'd be acceptable i'd be worthy and so looking at those images all the time and not having proper representation of what bodies that all bodies should be celebrated that's the mindset i had so i went on and like the eating disorder where I would have a handful of pretzels, I'm not a handful, a palm full of pretzels, mm-hmm. um, crystal light, chewing gum, sugar-free chewing gum. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I'd bake like maybe a small piece of fish and like a handful, like a cup of broccoli. Yeah. Um, and that's what I would eat. Not enough food. No. No. And so basically, oh, now I would over-exercise. Mm-hmm. I exercise like two hours a day um, and then cry at nighttime hmm. because... I was depressed. I had migraines and I was tired and I was very like not happy. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I lost all, I lost a ton of weight and people were just like falling over me mm. and like, how did you lose the weight? Like, Oh my God, give me, what's your secret? And of right. course I'm lying. Like most people with eating disorders do. They're just like, oh, diet and exercise. <laughs> so simple. But I'm just inside just like dead. And like, um, even being that small, I wanted to be smaller. And I would try to restrict my eating so much, but my body was like, I'm not letting go of any more fat. Hmm. So I'm going to stay right here. Like I did everything to like lose those last 10 pounds. My body would not budge because your body like hangs on if it feels like it's being deprived of something. It just, I couldn't get down past. And like the numbers not moving would spiral me into like more. It makes it worse. Yeah. Yeah. Like, and I was like, not eating to, and it would not. I was like, what do I have to do? Do I have to like die <laughs> to like get like these last 10 pounds? It wouldn't, it wouldn't go. So obviously it's not an overnight thing where you can go from battling an eating disorder to being so confident in yourself and your body. Right. Um, what, what type of work did you do inside that, that really helped move that along? Um, well, 
after that initial eating disorder, I gained all the weight back plus some. Mm-hmm. Um, and that like shocks your your metabolism, right? Um, or your immune system. It's actually not healthy to go from like that that weight. Like it's just not good to do. And so I remember the day where my eating disorder stopped. Um, and then the other extreme would be just eating everything happened. Uh, I flew into my grandma's house for a, a spring break because mm-hmm. that's the kind of person I was. Um, <laughs> so the goes like Cancun. It's I'm gonna go to my grandma. Right, yeah. I'm go with my grandma in Arkansas because that's fun on the farm. And she, uh, I was sitting at the table, and she's like, "What's wrong with you?" I'm just like, "Nothing." She's like. What's wrong with you? I'm just like, I'm hungry, Grandma. I'm hungry. <laughs> and she's like, I'm going to make you some uh, fried shrimp and biscuits. <laughs> like, I just like. And you that finally was relinquished. The, yeah. yeah. And, then, and then it went to the other extreme. He's like eating everything. And just So, but the moment where it was just like, but it's taken a lot of those like mini eating disorder situations mm-hmm. to get to a point where it's just like, of like gaining and losing and gaining and losing and gaining and then losing, you know, losing more. And then that back and forth, it, it took, I guess a defining moment is like the blogging where it was just like, you can be happy. Like, you know, it's, it's great to be like healthy, but like you also, you want to be happy and not deprive yourself. If you want to have two pieces of pizza, then you should be able to get it. Mm-hmm. If you, like you shouldn't be like, oh, you know, I can't like that deprivation that we give that we do to ourselves. Like, of course, like you shouldn't go overboard on things. But like, why can't we enjoy food? Like, why can't we enjoy like drinks? We should be able to do that without depriving ourselves of it. Did you grow up with a lot of uh, these health? Tr- like what was uh, I guess what was the pantry like growing up for you? Well, my mom had eating disorders. She mm-hmm. was actually like borderline anorexic. Okay. Um, when she was younger and we kind of got a lot of our eating because my sisters have the same problem mm-hmm. with eating, um, which I didn't really know until I got, we started talking about it as an adult. But my mom, basically she would like show us pictures. Um, she was younger and she'd be like, see, my thighs don't touch. And she's like, you know how I was, you know how I knew that I was overeating when well, my thighs started to touch. Hmm. So then I would just like stop. So also my mom would not really eat in front of us. She was a binge eater. So she'd basically buy like cakes and pies and she'd hide them in her room and then like she eat it secretly. So she would hide like when I was a kid, like I'd find like peanut butter in the cupboards, like have eaten peanut butter and like bags of chips or we'd find like lemonade and like other sweets behind her bed or we see like crumbs in her bed, but we would never see like the actual. Would you like, like confront cake. her? No, we were no, we were kids. Yeah. Like you know, we just be like, ah, oh, there's a empty jar of peanut butter in the cabinet. Weird. Closes cabinet back. Like we knew she was. Like I don't remember my mom even. My mom never really ate in front of us. Like w- like the kids would eat together, mm-hmm. but she would never eat with us. Uh, the pantry would vary. If she was on one of her health kicks, she'd change everything. Mm-hmm. But if she wasn't, it'd be like normal. Yeah. But like we never saw her eat. Cause she was a binge eater and she was doing it secretly. That's what binge eaters do. Did she, was she with your father at the time? Um, no. Okay. No. So what was that relationship like between them? <laughs> Very tumultuous. Like, okay. um, I'll just make this short cause I'll be like a whole 15 minute segment. But my mom had a very, very interesting upbringing. Mm-hmm. Um, she was sexually assaulted at an early age. Um, her parents were gamblers. So mm-hmm. they, weren't really there. Um, she had th- 
you know, two other siblings, which, which were girls. Um, my mom had, she was, my mom was like a thug <laughs> a little bit. Like she was very rough around the edges. Mm-hmm. Um, she, she grew up kind of in the streets, kind of like half in the streets, half not. She didn't have the right guidance. So, um, so when she met my father, she had already had a daughter prior to me, which is my sister, my older sister. And it's funny that I'm even sitting here because my mom really didn't like my father at all. Yeah. And he was not a good person either. So how I'm sitting here, I have no idea. Actually, the side story is that I was to be given up um, at birth. So, which hurt my feelings because I found that out like two years ago by someone else because I didn't know that. Okay. Um, So since since you learned that, what how have you unpacked that? Um, well, I actually learned, well, I think, no, my mom, she did tell me that, but I was like a little, I was older. I was like, we were still on talking terms. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't really, I didn't really impact at the moment cause I was my mom. I was just like, well, that's, that's kind of fucked up. But knowing that my parents didn't really like each other and they were never married and my father's a douchebag, that was that. Um, so then my, my mom kind of distance herself from the family and kind of did some mean things to me and my sisters. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I had found out that I had another sister living in Arizona through my, on my father's side. And she's like, you should come to Arizona. I'm like, yay, I have another sister. Um, find out that I have many siblings that he hasn't told me about, like wow. all over, because that's the kind of person he is. So I went there and then her mother was there and told me that um, one day after, I guess, my mom decided to keep me, I was like maybe six, seven months um, and that he, my father had brought me over to her house and was just like, the mom doesn't want her. Um, and I don't want her either. And so, um, her mother replied to take her back to my mom. So he took me back to my mom. And so I guess during that time we weren't talking, I was very hurt about it. Um, cause like, well, who does that? Like you have this, this little baby and you guys just don't, nobody wants her mm-hmm. um so yeah it, it was hurtful have i unpacked it all the way no yeah i i would imagine that'd be extremely difficult to confront yeah but i also think that you're very equipped to do so i think so now yeah with all the other stuff going on <laughs> yeah so i mean it, you know they often say that you know like a, a, a diamond you know, has starts as, as coal or whatever, and it goes through that whole process of pressure. Right. And so, do you feel like a lot of the history with your family has helped shape who you are and given you a lot of the lessons you needed in life? Um, it's funny you say that. My sister, kind of like my older sister, who was like the wise one. Uh, she's still sassy, yeah. but she's very wise. Like I'm the firecracker one and she's like the Zen one, but will get turned really fast if yeah. you take her to that level. But she's kind of said something to that effect. Like a couple weeks ago, we were talking about like how sometimes fucked up our family could be, um, or has been. Uh, and I feel like in the grand scheme of things that my experiences with family and divorce and like friends who've kind of fell off because I've gotten, I guess, popular um with all these with all these scenarios and traumas and situations I definitely feel like it's made me stronger um more sure of myself 
Um, it's also allowed me to be very grateful for the people that have willingly been in my life that have been amazing support systems that are not blood related at all. Like local artists in Detroit. I got my folks in New York, Mm -hmm. like people in Europe who are just like super supportive that chose to support me, not by like family or blood, but they just like, Hey, I'm here. I'm not going anywhere. So I'll support you if you need it. Um, on the other end, it's also hardened me a little bit because I look at sometimes relationships with people as like um, very business because like I don't want emotions to get mixed in because like with emotions, then you get your feelings hurt. Mm-hmm. So um, it, it's hardened me too. And sometimes I don't give people the chance because I'm just like, well, they're probably going to mess up anyway. Mm-hmm. So I'm not even going to give that person a chance, um, which is definitely not something that we need to do. Like we need to be open to good energies and to good, you know, good people to come in. But if you're like, no, that person is going to fail, then it's, it's not cool to do that. So I wish I want to work on that part. Mm-hmm. But it's understandable that, you know, when you're conditioned to have a response from the, the people that you love in your life to, be, you know, to expect that from others. Yeah, that that is true, but I just I want to be, I want to be the change, mm-hmm. you know, that I want to see, right? So I, like I preach these things of like inclusion and like empathy and all these things. So like as I'm preaching that, like I want to also be able to do that in my personal life. I think sometimes it's like being a social media influencer. You have to check yourself a lot, and sometimes when I'm saying things, it's like, okay, do you do that? Or do you just think other people should do that, right? It's mm-hmm. like that being objective with yourself. And I think that through this whole experience, like meeting different people and people like reaching out to me and always wanting my attention, it's definitely humbled me in a lot of ways where it's just like I can ask that question. Like, are you being objective or mm-hmm. are you just saying that because you think people want to hear it, right? Um, are you practicing that? Is it okay to tell people, I mean, to say it because people just want to hear it, eventually it, it will help you you know, recondition yourself too, I feel, you know, you, you obviously know what you're saying is the truth. Otherwise you wouldn't even know how to say them, articulate them. That's true. So maybe like a, a little piece of me is just like, you know what to do, but you, I'm just like the other piece, the hard headed Leah, which is a lot is like, uh, no, I'm not doing that. <laughs> but yeah. I'm going to tell other people to do it, but I, I hope, I hope that's what it's doing. Yeah. But I, I'm working on my relationships with other people. It's just hard. Especially like with heterosexual males. Like that's mm-hmm. like, that is like, yeah. So that'll just bring us into the next segue here. We're all over the place. But okay. uh, heterosexual males, how, how, do you, how do we become better as males, heterosexual males, as just males in general? Um, well, I think like having conversations like this helps mm-hmm. because it gives you insight. Um, like so on my page, I think... Um, 16% of my followers are males. Um, and then like 84% is like women, which is like a lot. A lot. I know, right? Mm-hmm. They're just like soaking it in. And it's very interesting that men who follow me, like, you know, because I have like the, the badass picture, mm-hmm. bomb photo, and I have like a heavy ass like caption right. so we can think and talk about shit. And then a lot of the men on there will be like, oh, you're cute or heart, heart, hearts or send me like a DM. Like, and just like, did you just read what the fuck I said, or you just mm-hmm. like, so you bypass all of that just to be like, 
I'm going to talk about her appearance. And so that type of stuff is not okay because it's like, obviously my account is for like, it's an open community where we talk about our body image and mental illness and like culture and religion and fun stuff, low stuff. So, but to do that and just like bounce over all that heavy, deep shit and like what my community is about, I'm not on there to be like, oh, to get called cute. Mm -hmm. I get that already. That's fine. Mm -hmm. But I'm here to like make a difference and make a change and have a conversation and rehumanize humanity. Like I'm not here to get like odd DMs. So it's just like not doing shit like that helps mm-hmm. <laughs> as heterosexual males, like not doing that. What about off social media? Um, off social media, I feel like um, the biggest thing is I think communication. Yeah. It's just like a lot of, especially now with like the current climate, it's a lot of, um, I guess, men thinking that they're under attack. And it's just like, well, why do you feel like you're under attack if you didn't do anything? Mm-hmm. So it's just like a lot of like finger pointing, like, oh, like feminists are like, it was just interesting. It was this one. And I really hate when people do this. It really pisses me off. This guy was interviewing this girl. I think it was like, it was an interview. And he was like, he asked the girl, are you a feminist? And she was like, it depends on what, like what your take on feminist, like, what do you mean? Mm-hmm. He's like, so do you hate men? Mm. And that was his, that's what he thought feminism was. Probably one of the biggest myths of feminism. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And so just like having those preconceived notions of what feminism is, what women's rights are, and equality and inclusion, those topics, like come with an open heart. Don't be like super toxic and masculine about it. Because that like makes women who do want to talk, like feel like very small or cornered and then they start to clam up or then they get angry or they get angry. Like mm-hmm. me, I get angry. I don't clam. I just get fucking mad. Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> and then I become intimidating and now it's a problem because yeah. now we're butting heads because yeah. you want to be masculine and I'm trying to, and I'm, I'm angry. And so just a lot of it is just like coming with an open heart and an open mind, willing to accept that sometimes heterosexual males can be trash. Mm-hmm. It's accepting that. And being like, well, why do people think this way? Or what can I do? What are my friends doing? How can I educate? And things of that nature. And also, like, being gentle, too. Because you don't have to be, like, so toxic and masculine all the time. You could just be like, hey, I I cry sometimes, too. I have body image issues, too. Like, just kind of, like, connecting instead of being like, no. I think that might be the, the, the craziest part is that we all are going through the same shit. And, you know, like, I mean, obviously there's science behind it, but we're all emotional creatures. And, you know, it's if, if any if any male says that they don't feel sad or mad or angry or frustrated, mm-hmm. they're lying. Yeah. And they just don't they don't confront those emotions, maybe. Yeah. But society doesn't especially like American. Like I noticed like going into Europe versus here, mm-hmm. um, like American men are very like macho, like. Yeah. I don't cry. Like, I shoot guns. Like, it's just like, why, why are you acting like this? And I went to Europe. It's a little bit, it's different. It's like, it was weird. Because I went on a couple of dates over there. And I'm just mm-hmm. like, oh, my, like, I don't date in America because, like, men are so, like, they, they either objectify me or make me feel uncomfortable. So I don't, like, mess with them. So, like, in Europe, I was like, okay, I'll let, me, let me dig in and see. Because my friend was like, 
the men in Europe are so cool. So like, okay, cool. And so this one guy's like, let's go out for tea. And I'm just like, what does tea mean? And he's yeah. like, he's like, actual tea. I'm just like, I'm so sorry. I'm used to like American men and their like ta- their toxicity. I'm so sorry. And we went out, we had a normal conversation. Yeah. We went walking, we had tea, and I went home. Mm-hmm. It was nice. Right. I'm just like, why can't we have that here? <laughs> Make a genuine connection. Right. Yeah. I was like, this is wow, that's crazy. So it was just like, it's yeah. If there is one feminist-centric resource that you would want to share with our listeners here, what would that be? Hmm. There's, like, so many. Because, <laughs> like, in my community, I, like, follow, like, like my whole, like, Instagram feed is curated for, like, um, fat acceptance, body positive, mm-hmm. plus-size models and influencers. And then, like, there's, like, feminism mixed in there. Um, I think one resource would be the unedit on um instagram and i just actually met her in person mm-hmm. when i went to europe i'm like oh my god it's nice to see the match up the instagram accounts to the actual person right um so she has the unedit which is like a body positive inclusive feminist um platform um and there's like a ton of like um like my instagram page you'll mm-hmm. get like you know feminist rants right. um and then other other things uh, in there, so that that's a cool resource. Um, so I got I have Beauty and the Muse, which is my blog that I update, try to update weekly, but it's been a little iffy because I've been traveling. And then my Instagram too, where you can find like, different stories about just life. I think, um, and I guess it's not necessarily like my page is not like necessarily like completely. I mean, it's feminist because it's me and I'm mm-hmm. like a feminist, but like literally, it's life. I like to say it's a lifestyle thing because it's like whatever happens in Leah V's life. That's what she talks about. I guess I'm using feminism pretty loosely. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, I'm definitely covering all the intersections when I say that. Yeah. Yeah. I think that that's what that's what's cool about feminism is that there are so many different like intersections of it. Um, yeah, I just think it's like human beings should be equal. Like that's like the bottom line. I think that's what a lot of people are fighting for right now is just equality for human beings. I agree. I don't think there's anything more important. Right. That's like the foundation of everyone's struggle, I feel like. It's just like include everybody into the narrative. That's all. Like no one's asking for like like anything that's like out of the ordinary. It's like equality and inclusion for human beings, bro. Like and people will like argue like on another scale, they'll argue with you about stuff. And it's like, are, are you dumb? Like They're people just are asking to get for out of you. That's why I just block people. Like, right. literally, like, people always ask me, like, what do you do for, like, internet trolls, which I get so many of. I think, actually, I'm actually thinking about doing, like, a video of all the, like, a funny video of, like, all the uh, troll Dox comments them. I've got. Yeah, because yeah, it's, like, some of the stuff is so stupid. But it's just, like, we're not going to argue. Like, I don't get paid to argue with you. Mm-hmm. So you're getting blocked. Period. In life and on the internet. <laughs> so you said that a lot of the body issues you had growing up stemmed from looking at magazines like Cosmo and Elle and uh, and not feeling like you fit in with the women that were in those magazines. Mm -hmm. Now you're actually being featured by some of these magazines. How does that feel and how does that play like a full circle picture in your your life? Yeah, it's actually really interesting because I didn't... Like when you look at those magazines, you see these type of people, you're just like that's really cool that they got in there and they're like celebrities and stuff. And you're just mm-hmm. like, and then someone inboxes you, oh my God, like 
you're you're in this magazine. I'm just like, what? That's crazy. <laughs> like, first of all, I'm, I'm like, I'm elderly. <laughs> I say I'm elderly not because like necessarily my age, because I just like, I like my alone time. I like to mm-hmm. do my puzzles. You know, I like to do elderly people stuff. And so, um, yeah, it's, it's very, it's very full circle, especially when I got like um, when 17, uh, feature me on their Instagram page. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's like one of the magazines that I used to like look up to, like look up to, and then saw nobody, nobody that looked like me. And so when I was when I was featured on Seventeen, I was like, "Wow, that's so cool!" Right? Because like I am not. That is so cool. That is not. I would never like young like Baby Leah V would never would never think that that's possible. Um, so all the things that I do, especially this year, like I literally. This year, I've gotten so many opportunities. Like, mm-hmm. I'm like, it's just like everybody like wanted me to be involved in something. Like, some I had to like turn down because I just didn't have the time. Mm-hmm. But it was like people want me as crazy as I am, as ridiculous, as loud, and as woke, and as fat, black, and Muslim as fuck. Like, they wanted me to represent their campaign. Like, and I was the first Muslim hijabi in a lot of those campaigns like the first mm. so like i tell people like what i do yeah i might look shallow from the outside but what i do is not a joke it's not a game it's real life yeah. and i'm making i'm carving a path for people behind me who are growing up and it's just like i don't know what i'm doing and they're like oh i'm seeing leah v like kill the game i want to do that too i can do that it's possible so i'm making the impossible possible which is really heavy yeah but it's really cool at the same time it's beautiful what would you say, um, your one piece of advice to the women behind you? Um, I think the one piece of advice is don't allow, don't let society, like don't let them dictate your narrative. Like you are the, you are the author of your, of your narrative. Like you write your story. And a lot of us don't think we have that power, but we do. Mm-hmm. And I don't think I have that power sometimes, but I do. And I've learned that over and over again. Like, you don't, they don't get to tell you what you can do, what you can't do. Like, you get to tell you what you do. And so that's the model that I live by. And I always tell, it, it sounds so simple, but a lot of us don't know the power we have. Like, we really don't. It takes practice. It does. But got the power just got to use it i believe it is there anything else that you wanted to share with us anything coming up in your world um not that i can release at this point <laughs> but i have stuff. yeah i have some stuff that i'm going to be releasing probably next week that's major cool um and then i have another um commercial coming out with simply b so I had the commercial in the UK that's like literally everywhere. Like all of my friends are inboxing me like, oh my God, I seen you on, t- on like the UK, the Europe TV like wow. six times today. Wow. It's like, yay. What, what commercial is that for? Um, for Simply V, the, the company yeah. Simply V. Uh, so I was like, oh my God, I'm on TV, yay. Because like, I didn't know it was going to be a commercial. I thought it was like print work. And they're like, no, you're going to be on TV. I was like, oh my God, this is like my first commercial. Um, so I flew there again last month to shoot the winter campaign. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's going to be dropping, I think, November. Amazing. So it'll be another commercial. Um, so that's dropping. And then just looking for photographers and videographers to do more body positive work because people seem to love when I do videos. Yeah. Um, but I need professional videos. I can't just be like, I'm iPhoning it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I, I am 
on the prowl of looking for more collaborators to collaborate with so we can kind of like spread the love spread the you know the agenda of like body positivity and inclusion uh and i'm going to new york in two weeks to do some projects with some like some independent projects and then i'm going to i'm getting flown to um San Francisco hmm. in November to speak at the De Young Museum where I'm being featured with Muslims from all over the world. Many hats. Yeah, it's crazy. <laughs> it's where, fun though. Where can listeners connect with Leah V? Um, on my on the gram as used. Yeah. Uh, at L Vernon 2000, and then I have like my blog where I do like longer works. It's basically like my diary, whatever mm-hmm. I feel like talking about, I'll talk about, and then I also have some really bomb pictures, like more pictures of an outfit or something like that. And that's beautyinthemuse.net. Awesome. Well, I really appreciate you coming in and taking the time out of your day to talk with us. Thank you. I have fun answering all the questions. Awesome. (laughs) Talk soon. All right. Bye. See ya.